Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. This week, you'll be hearing from Assistant Pastor Chris Robinson. I had put together a message for Mecca when we were starting to do streaming, live streaming up there. And I didn't use it because everything worked out okay. Well, I thought, well, I already have a message prepared. Might as well bring it to the congregation in Terre Haute. I bulked it up a little bit, if you will. I gave it some protein shakes and some time in the gym. But, um, yeah, it's, it's still weak. Well, hopefully not. We'll, we'll find out. Tell me afterwards. So, one of the things that I enjoy doing, and I don't know if I can do it or not. Maybe you can help me out with this. One of the things I enjoy most with my kiddos is going up to Ditzler's Orchard. I love, especially during strawberry time, because you can just walk through the strawberry field and just pick and eat as you go. If you're like me and like food, hey, sign me up, right? I wish you could just do that you know, at the deli or something like that, just walk through. You know, maybe. Now at times we have things in place to where people are using hand sanitizer. It might be a little bit cleaner, but who knows. Anyway, it's one of my favorite things to do is go up to Ditzler's and you know right away, you see the strawberry fields, you see the apple trees, I believe they have some cherry trees. You can tell immediately what you're looking at, right? So how that translates to what I'm talking about is when you see somebody out and about in your daily life, your sphere of influence, can you tell whether or not they're a Christian? Right? I've asked this question before. You know what kind of fruit an apple tree produces, right? It produces? An orange tree produces? An olive tree produces? A grape tree produces? I say, I better not hear grapes. Because is there such a thing as a grape tree? I mean, we could throw some plastic ones on there. But anyway. But you can tell a tree by the fruit it produces, right? Can you tell whether or not a person is a Christian by the way they live? Well, shouldn't you be able to? So I've asked that question before. Maybe it's resonated with a past message where you up and left because it was terrible. But hopefully this one is not as weak and resonates with you today. So today, we're going to find ourselves in John 15, verses 1 through 10. Now, the outline, I put 1 through 17. As I was going back through, it just should be 1 through 10. So that's a mistake on my, my part, just so you know. But nonetheless, I'm reading out of the New King James. So if it sounds a little King Jamesy. This is the new edition, so it should be better. John 15. So you'll see at the, at the top of the outline, if you have one, if, you, if you're using a phone, it says the seven attributes of discipleship. 
Now this is one of those messages where I'm not necessarily teaching you something new. This is more of a reminder. Because oftentimes we learn so much new information and old stuff gets moved out. Sometimes we just need a reminder, right? Sometimes we need, if we are renewing our driver's license, we just need a reminder. You know, when you answer the question, what should you do if somebody is driving the speed limit on 25th Street? A, speed up and go around them. B, adhere to them. Or C, all the above. <laughs> I usually pick A, but uh, you need a reminder that the answer is B. You should adhere to those that are in front of you, right? So it's, it's stuff like that. Sometimes we just need a reminder in life and not just necessarily learn something new, right? And maybe you'll learn something new today. So John 15, verses 1 through 10. I am the true vine. Notice I paused there. What did people typically do when they heard, I am? They fell to their feet or fell to their knees, face down to the ground. Because I am is... God, right? But this is Christ talking. Isn't he God? You know, when they came to arrest him, he said, I am. And the people immediately fell. You know, I didn't notice anybody falling in here. I didn't fall either. Have we lost something just by saying those two words? Has our culture gotten so conditioned to hearing I am? Because people say all the time, I am, I am this, I am this, I am that. Well, Christ is saying, I am. I am God. He goes to say, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. For without me you can do nothing. For without me you can do nothing. And no, I'm not a broken record. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, and you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so what is Christ saying here? So, no, it's not part of Pastor Dan's sermon, he said what, but technically it could be because Jesus is talking, right? So what is he saying? Jesus is teaching on how to be fruitful and how to have a joy-filled life. How many of you can today can either, one, say you're fruitful, and number two, saying you're having a joy-filled life? I mean, do we even know what joy looks like? Sure, we know what happiness looks like, but can you say that you're having a joy-filled life? 
Because, I mean, what? We've got anxiety. We've got fear. We've got all this other stuff going on in politics, coronavirus. I mean, racism. We've got all those worries coming in. And what's coming out? Is it joy? Is it fruitfulness? You don't have to tell me. You have to answer that for yourself. Christ is saying there is great joy in gaining the results that God desires here. And so our goal, like that of Jesus, is not only to produce fruit, but it's help to help others do so as well. I heard a podcast uh, called Eternal Leadership. Or no, I'm sorry, it's, it's a different one. It's um, Entree Leader. It's done by uh, Dave Ramsey's group. And they had a guy on there that talked about Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr., he would live his life so that he would do what he was doing, but always look to see how he could help someone else. Who are we typically trying to help? Self, right? That's our main focus. It's not, I'm not worried about you. What may be true for me may not be true for you, so I should just worry about me, right? Anybody else up here for a little bit more relative truth? Where do we draw the line with absolute truth? I mean, let's get mine first, and then maybe if I have a little bit extra, I'll give you it. Maybe. It just depends on how generous I'm feeling, right? So this thing called discipleship, we actually have really great potential to live an extraordinary life. Think about that. Not only could you have joy, you have the ability to have an extraordinary life. Who doesn't want that, right? I, I want to be different. I want my life to have results, not only for myself and for others, but just to look completely different, extraordinary. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the routine of life. And if anybody just preaching routine to you, it's me. I know what routine looks like because I love it. <laughs> I mean, Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can typically get, see me getting up at 3.55 or 4 o'clock to go work out before work so that I can get off at 2.30 to come home at 3 to spend time with the kiddos, whatever that may look like, and or do treasury, whatever else. Okay. But I have a routine that works for me. It may not work for you, because I know a lot of you like to sleep. But that works for me. Now, some days, that truth for me gets messed up. It's called either not catching your alarm, really tired, sick, whatever. Do I let it affect me? No. It's, you know, it happens, right? So anyway, we have this ability to have great potential and live extraordinary lives. Why? Number one, because Christ is the source. Now, I don't know if, what Bible you're reading from or what translation. Mine says he is the true vine. Now, if you were an Israelite or from that area in that time, you would know all about vines because they had grape vines and stuff like that all over the place. I put, those, I put these up here, my decorating skills, to kind of give you a good classic representation. And as I told Shelly this morning, because Viv was chewing on her bottle, I was like, 
hey, keep chewing on that plastic, keeps me in business. So I'm using plastic today to support who I work for, right? But anyway, uh, so in Isaiah 5, you'll see a representation of God's people being considered God's vine. The first three verses talk about how the gardener loves his vine, and you know it's like an intimate relationship. The next four verses, however, 4 through 7, talk about how the vine started growing into places it shouldn't have been growing, meaning the people were doing whatever they wanted to do, and the gardener was not happy. So I'll leave that to you to read about. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. So Christ says, I am the true vine, as opposed to the unreliable people of that time. So what is a vine, right? I mean, we've got to start there. You've got to define what a vine is. just can't say, I am the vine. Well, that's great. Well, what is one? A vine is a plant whose stem requires support and climbs by tendrils or twining and creeps along the ground. Examples include bittersweet, grapes, some honeysuckles, ivy, lianes. I don't know if anybody's familiar with lianes. Not the people, but the plants, and melons. So you're probably pretty familiar with like pumpkin patch or something like that. The vines just going crazy. Um, gosh, what are, what are those? Um, zucchini. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just forgot everything for some watermelon, honeydew, and what are the cantaloupe? I couldn't think of cantaloupe for some reason. So you've seen vines, right? You've seen them go all over the place. Um, tendrils. Tendrils are those little, if you've ever seen a vine got like little cur curly cues on them. I don't know about you, but if you've ever done any kind of yard work trying to remove vines, it is not fun. I remember when we lived here in town on Sycamore Street, uh, my great-grandma lived there before us, and she had this real decorative fencing. It was metal, and it had like loops, but then like a loop over it, and it it was, it was all metal, and, it, and so the vines would just get all through that stuff. And, you know, when Dad got that hair up his butt to do some yard work, those vines had to come down. And that was like an all-day process, just pulling off these real thin, tiny vines. A pain in the butt, but they got everywhere. Now... I'm going to talk about vines a little bit later, but you can kind of see where I'm going with this, right? So Christ calls himself a vine because as the vine imparts to its branches sap and what's needed for productiveness, Christ infuses his followers with his own divine strength in order for us to bear fruit. Psalm 80, verses 17 through 18, David is talking about the vine and about needing help from the Lord. He's, in verse 9, I believe, he talks about God, God, come back, be our refuge, be our strength. And eventually in verse 17, this is the Passion Translation, by the way, he says, strengthen this branch man, the son of your love, the son of man who dwells at your right hand. Then we will turn back. Revive us again that we may trust in you. David Prior to Jesus even saying this, David got it. You know, I, one of my favorite lines in the movie called The Wedding Singer uh, with Adam Sandler. And real quick, real quick tangent, I had to tell Joe and Tierra this. If I reference a movie, 
I'm not saying, hey, go watch this movie. Because Ann Coker did that one time, watching Apocalypse Now. I think I've told you this story many a times. It always makes me laugh because I'm just, picture, I'm just picturing Ann Coker sitting there watching Apocalypse Now. <laughs> if you've ever seen Apocalypse Now, you know what I'm talking about. But, so if I say a movie, use your best, right? And I'm not watching a lot of these movies now. Let me say that as well. But The Wedding Singer is, is clean enough to where you'll get this. But anyway, going back to what I was saying is, David got this, you know, way back in the day. David understood that he needed the strength of the Lord in order to turn back to him. And in that movie, The Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler makes a quote. He's like, you see, Billy Idol gets it. Why can't she? You know, if some dumb rock star can understand what I'm saying, why can't this other person understand what I'm saying? Do you think God sometimes is like looking at us like, I've put all this in front of you. Why can't you get it? But then again, he's not asking that question because he knows why. So Christ is our source. He is the true vine. Next, we have the ability to be an extraordinary disciple and live with great potential because of our caretaker. God is the gardener, vine dresser, or farmer, whatever translation you have. I like the, the Passion Translation again, says, The farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. Now, I don't know if you remember when I initially read this, and if you have it in your Bible, it probably says he cuts them off. Like, yep, yeah, that ain't doing anything. Yep, yeah, that ain't doing anything. You know, bye-bye vines, right? But in their tradition, in their culture, they would find sticks, and they would know that, look, this isn't producing any fruit. I need, hopefully this works, I need to lift it up somehow to get it off the ground, and that's probably not going to stay there. But you get the idea, right? I need to lift this up so it produces something, that it will have the potential to produce something. So while in the Hebrew it can be translated cut off, it could also mean this, exactly what the Passion Translation is saying. I lift the, God lifts the vines off the ground. I don't know if you've ever been around a vineyard before or owned your own, but that's what you would do. If you found vine, grapevine that wasn't producing grapes, you got them off the ground to try to get them out of the dust. You cleaned them off. You didn't want any of the dirt on them so that they could get abundant sunlight, get water, stuff like that, and get the nutrients that they need. That's what God is, is saying here, is that some of you, some of you are just vines. Some of you are okay with just sleeping on the couch and going day to day, you know, doing whatever you want. That's fine. But some of you really do truly have a heart after my own, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lift you up. It may, not, it may not feel good, but you're going to be a better person for it. Then, so we got this caretaker. It says, the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. You can really understand this by answering these questions. Do you feel as if God is the proud possessor of you? Do you feel as if God really cares about you? Are you assured that your life is cared for? 
Do you feel important right now in this moment of time? Do you feel important to God and that he knows you by name? Now, if you answered no to any of those questions, then I would say you need to spend some more time with your father. Okay? Malachi 3, 17, 18. I love the message translation here. He says, God of the angel armies said, they're mine, all mine. They'll get special treatment when I, God, go into action. I treat them with the same consideration and kindness that parents give the child who honors them. Once more, you'll see the difference it makes between being a person who does the right thing and one who doesn't, between serving God and not serving him. One of my all-time favorite passages. They're mine. All mine. You will get special treatment. You are important to God. He owns you. He wants you to know that. God owns and cares for you. You can rest assured that your life is cared for. Think about how you used to care for your own children. You know, and think about that one, if you had multiple ones, that just kind of stood out and listened and did what they told. Now, I'd like to know what that looked like, but... <laughs> you know, I, I have images of my mom with a wiffle ball bat, but... Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless, I think about my three kiddos and how they act, and when, when they do that one thing... They, you just wonder if they ever gotten it. But when they do that one thing, it's just like, oh, it just brings so much to your heart, right? That's how God looks at you. He looks at every minute detail of your life to make sure you are living according to his word, according to his way. He wants you to be know that you're taken care of. Does it mean we'll be 100% perfect all the time? No. It doesn't. But just think about the joy, the blessing that you bring to God when you do and live his way. It's just like that feeling of one of your own kids when they did something that you were so proud of. You know, we often look at God the Father, especially if we've, and pastors mentioned this, especially if we had a dad we did not care about. We look at God the Father as this totalitarian with, a ruler in his hand, just kind of waiting. Yeah, you screwed up that time, didn't you? Well, we just wait for it, right? And that's not it at all. I picture God as, if you ever think about when one of your children or somebody else's child is trying to walk, they take a step, step, and you're just, oh, you're going to make it, and then fall. It's like, okay, well, let's try again, you know? No big deal. Nobody's hurt. Let's just keep trying. And I look at God that way. How many of you picture God that way? You're going to take step, step, stumble. Step, drag, stumble. We all have those days, right, where we wake up and legs are just not working the way they should be. God owns us and cares for us. 
I love this in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, to give you a better idea of what he has in store for you as your caretaker. For it was always in his perfect plan, always in his perfect plan to adopt us as delightful children. There's two things there. He sees you as delightful. When was the last time you ever felt delightful to somebody? Some of you ladies that got married, it was your, probably your wedding day, right? Some of you guys, well, it's probably every day for some of you guys. But not only that, you're adopted. You accept Christ, you're adopted into the family. He makes you an offer you cannot refuse. But he gives you that choice. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love, oh, talk about a word we don't use very often, tremendous, his tremendous love. Gosh, if we would just start thinking about God in more than two or one word syllable words, start playing Scrabble, get some of those three syllable words out there, triple word scores, you know, like tremendous, extraordinary, delightful. Man, when was the last time you heard those words? Now, I know I'm a little bit animated and a little bit you know, more so than Pastor Dan, but I love those words. Extraordinary love, delightful, tremendous love. And it's, it's, it's making it hard for me to get to the, the sermon, but for the, for the same love he has for his beloved one, Christ, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. God has a plan in place already for all of us. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. I get it. But what Christ is saying here is, I am the vine. I am the source of that plan. And later on, he says, abide with me. And guess what? You're right on that plan again. So Christ is the source. God is a caretaker, but he's also a pruner. The amplified version of this verse says that he repeatedly prunes. Oh, that stinks. Well, why? So that we will bear more fruit that's richer and finer than before. How many of us like to live in the past? You know, the good old days, if you will, the, or the glory days, as Bruce Springsteen would say. How many of us pine for those days when, you know, you just knew everything was going to go the way it was supposed to go, stuff like that? Or uh, guys, guys I work with, you know, we have a lot of time while machines are running, making exhibits. We talk about video games. We talk about music. We talk about movies. And we talk about, you know, oh, that game was so awesome when I was in high school, which, yes, I'm not that old. There was still high school. I'm looking at you, Jonathan. I didn't realize there were video there was Pong, you had the little circle thing, the thing went up and down, and the, the dot went bloop, bloop. But we had video games, and so we talk about just the time when uh, Nintendo 64, for instance, was out. And you had to go to the other person's place in order to play a multiplayer game. Nowadays, you can sit in your mom's basement and do whatever you want. Why are you perked up there, Robert? 
But you can, you can play with anybody across the world from the comfort of your own home. But I, I remember the good old days of when you had to get together with three of your buddies to play video games together, and you had camaraderie and fellowship. Gone are those days. But we still talk about those good old days. You know, I'm sure that video games may not necessarily be what you're looking for in the good old days, but I'm sure there is something that you pine for, that you look back to like, oh man, I wish it just could be like this. And you know what Christ is saying? I made your life new so that those old days are gone. You are transformed and different. It's time to move on. If you keep pining for those kind of days, then what are you really after? So he prunes us. He trims anything that hinders and weakens us. Huh. Anything hindering you, weakening you this today? I'm sure it's different for everybody. I know I have my own that he's constantly pruning. And to give you a good picture, it's okay, we got we got a good we got a vine here, right? Oh, it looks like it's being somewhat fruitful. But you know what? You did a you did a great here, but I need I need you to be, well, it's pl stinking plastic. I need you to be a little bit more. I need you to I need you to go somewhere else. You know, stuff like that. You know, it you may have produced a little bit of fruits or flowers and look like you're growing, but I think there's more for you. I think you can do better. In fact, I know you can do better. You may not think that you can right now, but you know what? It's not about what you think. It's about what I think because I've seen great potential in you. In fact, I created you knowing you have great potential, that you can be extraordinary, that you don't have to live the way this world tells you you have to live. You can be different. You can be better. The question is, do you want to be? You know, I talked about when they lifted, when God lifts up the branch, or they did for grapes back in the day, that doesn't feel good. Well, if you know what pruning is, if you've ever been in a garden or trimmed a tree, you've got little shears, right? And you're constantly snipping away at buds and growths that shouldn't be there. Why? Is it just so the tree can be prettier? Is it so the external appearance of the tree could be nicer? No, it's so the tree can do more, right? So it can produce more. We don't like being pruned. We don't like being lifted up. Why not? You know, I always tell people that one of the best things to happen to me was my stroke. Yeah, it wasn't fun at the time, but you know what? It got my attention. Sometimes we need things like that in our lives to get our attention because we think we know everything and that we could just keep going about life routinely. You know, I, I'm a Christian. I go every Sunday morning. You know, I get up, read the paper, maybe a little bit of scripture here and there. That's, a, that's enough, right? You got to answer that for yourselves. Hebrews 12.5 says, Have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, My child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he corrects you. Tony Evans has a fantastic Bible study called Detours. It talks about how we get on the highway of life 
And we like to think that Google Maps, for instance, will just say, OK, take, take a left here, take a right here, take a left here, take another left, take another left. And essentially, you've done it in circles. But he talks about how God's path is the only path. You know, when Christ says, I am the way, he's saying, I am the only way. And so Tony Evans is relating that subject through um, Genesis and Joseph. But how often have you thought while you're traveling that I don't need a map? I know where I'm going. You know, most guys can raise their hands because, <laughs> because that's, the, that's the misconception, right? And I'm sure some ladies have done it too. But we all do that throughout life. We take a hold Google Maps ain't telling me what to do. God certainly isn't going to do, so I'm going to do what I want. And when that tough time comes up because we went our own path, we don't like what happens. And maybe it's God saying, look, I put a road closed sign here for a reason. You can't go this way. In fact, I know what happens if you go this way. I'm trying to keep you from getting hurt beyond what you can handle. It says, do not cross, stop, do not go down. I think uh, Crawford is being worked on right now. You're not going to go down Crawford with these big rivets in it, are you? So why would we do that in the path of life? Because God sometimes puts roadblocks in our way, right? He knows what's better for us, but we don't like to think that. I love how David puts this. How can a young man keep his way pure? Speaking of God the pruner. By living according to your word. God will prune us when we're not doing what we should be doing or if he sees better in us. And David says, how can I keep my way pure? How, how do I live life? Well, he knew it was according to God's word. Psalm 119, verse 9. If you ever, ever, ever want to do a really good study of what God's word should mean to you, Psalm 119. It's going to take you a while. It's pretty long. But you talk about a person that was in love not just read the Bible every day, got more information. He was in love with God's commandments, his statutes, his law. Nowadays, we have pastors standing up in meetings supporting sexual education for kindergartners, saying, nobody reads the Bible anyway. <laughs> I'm in it every day, so I don't know who he's talking to or who he's preaching to. Sure, you can look at Barna and Pew, Pew Research and see figures that are not good. How do we change those? We be different. We be extraordinary. We know that God has tremendous love for us. And where can we find that tremendous love? In the Bible. Reminds you of who you are. Because I guess Satan will remind you of who you're not. Every day, all day, right? Well, you're not good enough. Well, you're not smart enough. Heck, you're not even pretty. Why are you going outside? You forgot makeup today because you, well. Those thoughts will creep into your mind, and then what happens? 
those thoughts start to build up, build up, build up, and then you start feeling sorry for yourself. Well, what about so-and-so's coworker? Their husband's got cancer. How are you going to help them being in a state of mind that you're currently in? We've got to be reminded of who we are on a regular basis, of who God is as well. And see, the problem isn't that God is willing to prune us. We try to avoid being pruned. In our comfort-driven lives, pruning is the last thing we want. It is necessary for the garden to grow, for the plant to produce fruit. It's necessary. So if there's something in your life you're hanging on to, and maybe, and God is telling you to give it up, it may be time to give it up. If you want to go places and influence people and show them that you're truly a Christian, it's time to give it up. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Live like it. So how do we continue to be extraordinary disciples? Well, it's our partnership with Christ, verses 4 through 6. Again, from the Passion Translation, it says, So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, now get this, I'll back up. As you live in union with me, Christ, as your source, fruitfulness will stream from you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless, meaning no power, meaning you're doing everything in your own strength, which again, I don't care how much time you spend in the gym, you're not that strong. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire to be burned. I love how the NIV puts it. It's pretty straightforward. For without me, you can do nothing. The me- I, so the message, another version, live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined to me. Do you see a pattern here? We can't do anything without Christ. Repeat after me. We can't do anything without Christ. It's so simple. I I was going to say, I can get it, but okay. Yeah. Thanks, Dwayne. I mean, it is, right? I mean, we, we, including me, still have those moments where 
I'll just take care of it. I got it. And it all just kind of falls apart, right? You ever heard, you know the word history, right? If you break it up, it says his story. Whenever your story becomes the story, what happens? Calamity, dismay. What word do you need me to throw in there? It's his story. You're just a part of it. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about the line of eternity and how each one of us is a little itty-bitty dot on that line. Are we just a dot, just living for existence sake, or is our lives going to resonate on that line? If you've ever pulled a line really tight and strummed it, like on a guitar string, it vibrates the whole thing. So is our life going to impact the whole thing, or is it just going to be that little tiny dot that doesn't mean anything? It can mean something if you're partnered with Christ. It can mean something if you let God prune you, if you let God raise you up, let him be your caretaker. I, uh, Christ knew the importance of being partnered to his Father in John 5, 19, where he says, So Jesus said, I speak to you this timeless truth. The Son is not able to do anything from for himself or through his own initiative. I only do the works I see the Father doing, for the Son does the same works as his Father. How, how do you know what God's works are if you're not in the Bible? It's, I mean, that's, it's that simple. Do you really know what God's works are? People ask Jesus, in John 6, 28, well, what are these works? And in John 6, 29, he says, it's to believe in the one who sent him. If you believe in him, you'll live like him, won't you? To kind of give you a better idea of like how Christ is to be all-encompassing was, I was trying to think of a vine that people were relatively familiar with, and the one that came to mind was my favorite, poison ivy. I say that because I am highly allergic to it. Uh, my mom is as well. In fact, I can remember a time when uh, she was deer hunting with my dad, and they were back on the property up in Dana that we used to own, and uh, she saw this real decorative vine. You know, it had really curly tendrils. It had, like, had these little red, had these little red berries on it. You know, it was, it was real cool, you know. Mom was into this Americana theme, so she thought she might get some of the, yeah, some of these little... She was in this Americana theme, kind of, you know, rural, outdoorsy. So maybe get, gathering up some of these vines would be a great idea. Poison ivy and head to toe later, it was not a great idea. But I tell you that example along with another one. Uh, when we had the intention of still living up in Dana, Jessica and I, we had uh, Greg Clodfelter come out, because you know he does stuff on the side. And um, he was walking around the house. He's like, oh, you've got to spray that. You've got to spray that. You've got to spray that. Like, well, why? He's like, well, you can see what it's doing on the outside paneling of the house. What you don't see is what the poison ivy is doing into the wood. I'm like, into the wood? Sure enough, we removed a little decorative part of the piece of wood. Sure enough, it was in the woods, splitting it. It was so 
ingrained into a small tiny hole probably at one time that was just pushing the wood apart and making it making way up into the gutters to get water. It was incredible. I use those two examples to give you an illustration that the vine, in mom's case, was everywhere. This other vine that was on the house was so ingrained into the house, I mean, you had to get, spray it to kill it and get rid of it. I use those two because, number one, the vine should be everywhere, and number two, the vine should be so ingrained in us where nothing is going to kill it, where it's constantly getting in there, ingraining itself in our hearts and in our minds. Who is that vine? Jesus, right? If the vine is here and here, J.D. Greer talks about how heaven sometimes is only 18 inches away. Because we may have Christ in here, but in here we're kind of all over the place. Or we may be an encyclopedia up here, but he's not quite in here all the way. That vine needs to build here and then work its way through. Think of about your nervous system and how it just goes everywhere. And it looks like a vine, right? Think about that vine just encompassing everything. But you know, as this uh, verses 4 through 6 go on, there was one other thing in there I had to mention. Um, so you know I have a six-year-old redhead. With that comes its own, I don't know what to say. It comes with its own. Matthew, Matthew is a very sweet little boy, and he likes to do things that he knows that mommy and daddy can do for him, but he would rather take matters into his own hands, right? I mean, who amongst us hasn't had a child or been that child. I tell you this because we are all God's children, and who amongst us hasn't taken matters into our own hands, knowing he can probably handle it. I say that because at the last, latter part of verses 5 and 6, it says that if a person is separated from me, he's discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. Notice it starts with a condition, if. Not a when, but an if. As in God, Christ is saying, you have the choice. You can do things my way if you want to. I love you so much that if you choose to continue not to live a life with me, there's a place you can go to where you don't have to be with me for eternity. I love you that much. I also love you enough to give you a free will. I will not put myself on you. I will not force myself on you. However, if you choose to live with me, fantastic, we'll produce more fruit. However, if you choose not to live with me, your life looks nothing more than this. And what do you use a stick like this for? Firewood, right? Or st to help start a fire. You know? And this is essentially what Christ is saying. If you want to live without me, okay, that's your choice. If you want to live separated from me, you'll be nothing more than kindling. Your life will not resonate on eternity. It'll just be some dot that, who knows if it'll mean something. It's what he calls in Revelation the second death. 
You know, we all have a physical life and a spiritual life. But do you realize you can die twice? Physically and spiritually. That's what the second death looks like right there. That tree that was a part of a tree at one point has died physically and died spiritually. Matthew 7, 21, 23, to give you a little bit of an idea of Christ speaking to Christians. He says, you know, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Isn't going to get you anywhere. Oh, I'm sorry. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands shredding up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message. We bash the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, the message translation. I don't want to miss the boat, do you? Sometimes you have to read the scriptures in a different translation to truly get the, the message. See what I did there? I like the message translation because it puts it in more practical terms. I don't always use it. I use the New King James and ASB, ESV to get the literal translation. But sometimes reading it in a different way is refreshing to get an idea and understanding of what Christ is really trying to say. I don't want to miss the boat, do you? Had you read that in the NIV, you probably wouldn't have gotten that. So to move on, to, to be an extraordinary disciple and to live an extraordinary life, we have a promise, verse 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, that is that if you are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wow, what a promise. Did anybody have a parent where you just asked them to do whatever and they just did it? Sometimes we do it for the wrong reasons nowadays. But to have a parent that just, Mom, I, I, need, I need 20 bucks. You don't need to know why. Yeah, I just need 20 bucks. Boom, 20, right? You have a father who knows every little detail, every little desire. Now, he may not give it to you right away, but he knows what you need, when you need it and why you need it, more so than you do yourself. But if you, you live according to his word, don't you think that your heart is going to be shaped in such a way that you know what to ask for and when to ask and why to ask, as opposed to just asking for whatever you want? Because this verse is not saying, well, you know, times are tough. If you need $2,000, go out pray for $2,000. Now, if he knows the notions of your heart, you may get that $2,000, but you're not just going to get it just to get it. Or a Tesla. How many of you guys see Teslas around? It's a nice car. I would prefer, don't tell Jessica this because she's been wanting me to tell her what kind of car I want. I would prefer either a Nissan Titan or a GMC Denali 
Sierra, I think. A, a big pickup. Just a big pickup. I don't know why. She's been trying to get that out of me. But you know what? I'm not going to go to the altar and say, God, I need a pickup. God, I need a Tesla. And then get angry at him for not showing up. Because I'm sure we don't do that, right? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, that means my message lives in your heart. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I quoted Joshua 1.9 at the beginning. Everybody's familiar with Joshua 1.9. Be strong, be courageous, for I'm always with you, right? Does everybody remember Joshua 1.8? Listen to how important the word of God is for Joshua and the Israelites. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. You mean all it takes is meditating on God's word and obeying it, and my way will be prosperous? No, no, no. Not only prosperous, it goes on to say, then you will be successful. Prosperous and successful. You mean reading God's Bible might actually do those things for me? You know, I ask the teens all the time, would it be a ridiculous idea for you to read the Bible? I mean, would it? Is it that bad of an idea that you can't do it every day? Is it too hard? Yeah, I get some things are hard to understand. I get that. But you know what? Operators are standing by I don't know his office hours. I'm assuming it's 9 to 5.30. But operators are standing by. Could you imagine if after today, pastor were to get an influx of calls saying, hey, pastor, I read this. Don't quite understand it. Help me out. Or if I got a text message or a Facebook message that said, hey, Pastor Chris, read this today. Don't quite understand it. Can you make heads or tails of this? I may say it's all Greek to me, but... I will work to get you an answer. And it, because if I don't know it, I need to know it so that I can help you know it. Pastor Dan and I are two different people. He has a PhD. I do not. So he knows a lot more than I do. I, I think you know that just from hearing me preach. But he knows a lot more than I do. But he is not always reachable. I have, I'm on Facebook Messenger He's not on Facebook. He texts his phone for texts and stuff like that, but he also does it while he's driving. So texting me might be a better option. <laughs> he's gotten more voice-activated stuff, I think, because that law passed where you're not supposed to be, it's supposed to be hands-free now. But uh, there's been a couple times where he's just, like, answering text messages on his phone. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> holding the the dashboard like this. Please stop checking your phone because he's going 50 down 25th Street. You know, he answered A on that question I talked about earlier. But what I'm getting, I get going back to Joshua. Moses knew. Don't you think Moses taught the Israelites, Joshua, Caleb, and all those other ones? And Joshua, God speaking through him, said, look, 
this law will be on your heart, on your mind, day and night. As a result of that, your way will be prosperous and successful. How many of us in here could not use a little bit of prosperity? How many of us in here could not just success, you know, whatever that may look like, Lord? Luke 11.28 also says this, Blessed, happy, and favored by God are those who hear the word of God and continually, not just once, continually observe it. I hope you've caught the pattern of this message. Christ is a source. God is a caretaker, pruner. We have to be in partnership with Christ. And the promise is that if his word remains in you, ask to the Father whatever it is that you desire, and it will be granted to you. The word is important. Not just reading it, so that you have more information. Gosh, you can go to Google, Wikipedia, and get information and not know whether or not it's true or not because we have too many people doing that nowadays. Too many people. In fact, you get a question asked, where's the first place you go? As, well, I do have my phone on me. Hey, Siri. I love asking Siri to tell us a bad joke. Because she's usually on point. Because when you got kids, bad jokes are good enough, right? <laughs> so blessed, happy, and favored by God are those who hear the word of God and continually observe it. Another aspect of being an extraordinary disciple is our purpose. It says, when your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Does your life glorify God? Do you have faith that is moving mountains? Do you have a plan to do those things? Do you even know what you're supposed to be doing? I mentioned John chapter 6 verses 27 through 29, where he's telling the people, he says, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures and leads to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For God the Father has authorized him and put his seal on him. The people asked, what are we to do so that we may habitually be doing the words of God? Jesus answered, John 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe, adhere to, trust in, rely on, and have faith in the one who he has sent. That's the work of God. You do those things, you let him be the vine in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your strength. Guess what? You're going to be doing what you should be doing. God has a plan for you. It's real simple. Jesus. Real simple. God created us to glorify him by bearing much fruit, by believing in the one he sent, and replicating his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension, which can be found in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Okay, we got to replicate his life. Well, what did Jesus do? I mean, we've all seen those bracelets growing up, WWJD. 
Okay, what did Jesus do? I mean, I think you can pretty much answer those questions for yourself. And if you don't know the works of God, guess what? They're all in here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good places to start. What about replicating his death? I mean, we all just said that we don't want to be pr pruned because, well, pruning is hurtful. It could be bad. We want to live in our comfort-driven lives. So how do you replicate death without dying? I think it's pretty simple, right? You die to self. It means being a servant leader. Anybody can be in leadership, but can you be a servant while being in a leadership role? Can you give up yourself, your reputation, your wants, your desires for others? I mean, too often do we focus on self without having empathy toward another person's position and without trying to understand where they're coming from, and we get all bent out of shape about it. You know, Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, talks nothing more than just doing that. Seeing it from the other person's perspective, you know what that helps you do? It helps you not get into arguments, helps you win discussions, because maybe being a devil's advocate, if you will, without obviously promoting Satan, is you're trying to understand where they're coming from to get an understanding for yourself so that you can say things and ask questions to help pull out what may actually be the real issue. Because you don't know things about people. In fact, I will tell you that I had the youth downstairs last Sunday, and I asked, okay, it was a, it was a lesson on heaven and hell, and... I started with truth. I said, is there such a thing as truth? And all the kids were like, no, not really. I'm like, okay, well, what if you split them up to this? Absolute and relative. You know, we can all go through the relative checklist. What may be true for you may not be true for me. What works for me may not work for you, all this other stuff. But what about an absolute? Is there something with absolute certainty that is true for every human being? I mean, we can all say that... We don't believe in the existence of gravity, right? But a gravity of the planet Earth affects everyone. And if you don't believe me, try walking off a building sometime soon. Or, no, I'm not encouraging that. But, or you can ask Joe. Joe does 10 feet between you and the ground. <laughs> Joe was up on a forklift working on something. He fell 10 feet. Gravity existed real quick. I mean... All you got to do is trip and fall, right? Gravity exists. But anyway, one of, the, one of the young men downstairs said that, you know, Pastor Chris, I don't know that I really believe in God. So that's okay. You're here for a reason. Come to find out, though, with some other personal matters and relationship matters, did I really get to the point as why he doesn't believe that? Now I know how to talk to him. Now I know how to relate to him in a way not to push my agenda onto him, but to explain to him in a way he can understand. Does that make sense? Sometimes you have to see the other person's perspective. And it doesn't mean that you're, you'd be completely tolerant of it, because I can guarantee you, Tuesday night, the perspective that was outlaid 
for Vigo County School Corporation, you do not want to have empathy for. Now, there are people that are hurt there, which you should pray as like you would for Paul to have the scales removed to his eyes because a lot of people get hurt by church. A lot of people get hurt by Christians. They have to be reconnected to the vine. And intercessory prayer may be the only way. The way you live your life may be the only way. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. So I had mentioned that you have to replicate his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. What Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, is that you will replicate that ascension into heaven by living a life partnered with the vine. That's all he's saying. You will be raised up, not just off the ground. You'll be raised up into heaven. I love John chapter 2, verse 51 through 52, I think it is, where Christ talks about himself being the representation of Jacob's ladder. Anybody familiar with Jacob's ladder in Genesis, right? Christ said, I am that. I am man on this planet, but I am the only way you're going to get climb the ladder up to heaven. I am the only way. The Amplified says, John 14, 6, I am the only way, the real truth, and the real life. It's real simple. Christ, God's got a plan. Jesus Christ. And this is all conditional on verses 9 through 10, obedience. The conditional statement, you and I must obey God. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is a passage that throughout this coronavirus and shutdown has been a very big part of my devotionals. I say that because it couldn't have come at a better time when the governor was shutting everything down. This passage came across my, my path. Solomon is finishing up the temple, and he's wanting the people of God to be a part of it. And God is saying, if my people, my God-defined people, respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence, and turning their backs on their wicked lives, I'll be ready for you. I'll listen from heaven. I'll forgive your sins. And guess what? I'll restore your land to health. Talk about a timely verse. I'll restore your land to health. I'll restore the land so that the vine can continue to grow. In conclusion, Jesus said, I chose you to produce fruit, fruit that will last. As the worship team comes, I just want you to think about this. What kind of fruit are you producing? Are you producing fruit? I guess that should be the first question. Are you? 
Are you living a joy-filled, abundant life? Jesus in John chapter 10 talks about, I came so that they could have life. Not just a life to live, because anybody, everybody dies, right? But nobody truly lives unless they live with Christ. But I came so you could have an abundant life, a prosperous life, a life of meaning, a life that can be successful. We think because we get pruned or disciplined, God must be down on us. No, God's just trying to make you the person you should be. He knows you can be better. Oftentimes, we lie to ourselves and put ourselves back down in the pit where God knows we should not be. We've already gotten out of that pit. I don't want to go back in the pit. Do you? It's like falling down in a well and forgetting the well's there and just keep falling back into it. So I, I want to leave you. The altar is open. It's always open. I want to leave you with what Job says in Job chapter 23, verses 10 through 12, where he talks about the life that he lived and how it will be measured by God. Job 23, 10 through 12. But he knows where I am and what I've done. He can cross-examine me all he wants, and I'll pass the test with honors. I followed him closely, my feet in his footprints, not once swerving from his way. I've obeyed every word he's spoken. And you know what? Not just obeyed it, I treasured it. When was the last time you treasured your time with God, your time in the scriptures? Do you treasure it at all? Or is it just something you do routinely? Yeah, I read my Bible today. A verse a day keeps the devil away, yeah? God wants more for us. Not just for this church, just Christians in general. So it, it's time. If you don't have a regular time of reading his word, make time. Turn off that 30-minute show that you absolutely can't live without and spend 30 minutes in his word. And if you don't know Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, good place to start. If you've already got those memorized, which I'm sure some of you do, start in the book of Acts and see how the church lived. Or if not Acts, you want a smaller book, Ephesians, and see how the church should act. Now, I'm quoting a lot of New Testament and leaving out the Old Testament. If you want to spend some time in the Old Testament, fantastic. I love the prophets. I love Psalms. I love Proverbs. I love it all. People have oriented their lives where they read one Psalm and one Proverb a day. Because psychologically, before the music starts, psychologically, if you start, it's been shown if you start your day with something positive, you're 31% more likely to have a good day. So if you don't want just spiritual terms, let's throw in a little bit more of science. You want a positive day? Start in the Word. Start in Proverbs. Start in Psalms. One a day. 
Now, what happens when those 30 days come up? Just restart Proverbs and keep going in Psalms. It's not that hard. But you're 31% more likely to have a good day. That's science. You know, who knew you'd get a little bit of science today? 